Sometimes it's funny when you do the right thing, even in, in, a, in a mistake, even when it costs you dearly. In that moment, believe me, now it sounds glamorous. At that moment, like that was a million dollars, over a million dollars lost. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. I'm drinking the rose water and Jeb Bush saves my life. Hey, it's Mikey from the Goonies. Wait, an actress in charge of my money? A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have award-winning entrepreneur and New York Times best-selling author, Josh Linkner, as he shares his biggest mistakes in business, insight from his recent book, Hacking Innovation, and how to brainstorm more effectively through role-playing. So what I really like about Josh is he just has such a different just as himself, just has a very different approach to everything. Like he likes to flip things upside down. And even with his own company, one of my favorite stories, which I really should have asked him about this in hindsight is, is, you know, his company was so far ahead of everyone else that he had to, in order to get his company to be more innovative, he had to actually create a fictitious company that they had to compete against. So he'd say, okay, well, I think Slytherin company, I want to say there was like a, a uh, Harry Potter tie into it, but they created this you know, evil company that they had to battle against. And they would actually force themselves, oh, this company's already done that. We have to go out and do it. We have to go out and do it. And he really does put into practice, like in his book, Hacking Innovation, he had to really go out to these other people. They're kind of like him in a way. He doesn't let on. He's a very humble guy. But these people that were like him, they just kind of flipped the script on things. And so he actually went out for this book to actually talk to um, these hackers. And, and I asked Josh, so Josh, you have to wear a hoodie to go out and do this? Well, I tell you, but I'd have to kill you. <laughs> uh, no, no, kidding aside, uh, I was really looking to, to, to come up with a book that was disruptive. I didn't want to write another book on innovation saying the same old stuff. So I started thinking like, where are the most creative, innovative people these days? And it led me to hackers. And hackers are these you know, incredibly creative minds. It's putting their, their, their misdoings aside. It's not so easy to you know, hack and infiltrate the FBI or a bank or something. So I studied hacking as a methodology for complex problem solving. And, and not to promote cybercrime, but more to borrow from them. How do they approach their mindset? What, what do their tactics look like? And how could we apply it to legitimate business purposes? So anyway, yeah, I had the chance to talk to people who spent time in jail. I spoke to law enforcement agencies. I spoke to cybersecurity professionals and, and a number of people that I would call hackers, but they don't write a line of code. People that are amazing musicians, but they hack the way they approach the art form. Or people that are amazing entrepreneurs that are hacking growth in their companies. And ultimately tied it all together in this book, Hacking Innovation, the new growth model from the sinister world of hackers. Now, speaking of using hacking that's not code, you have infant twins. <laughs> have you figured out any ways to hack parenting? No, I, I, I want to read that book, though. I definitely want to read that book. That's, uh, that, right now, they're crying a lot. Um, I, uh -huh. As we were talking about, my, my boy, uh, Avi and Talia, boy and a girl, and they were born July 22nd, premature, 14 weeks premature, only 2.4 pounds each. And uh, we spent 104 days in the NICU, but thank God they're doing great. They're, we dodged like 50 bullets. They're totally healthy. They're growing. Amazing. I'm so blessed to have these babies, and, and my wife is amazing. I'm going to get all choked up, but they're, they're really they're amazing kids. How do you think that that changes your mindset um, as somebody who, because you're talking about you know different ways of healthcare, um, you know ch you know hacking healthcare, like changing the way people look at healthcare or or different things. That's one of those things I almost think of like from a personal life how you how you come up with those those hacks. That's why I want to make sure I ask that because it seems like just your approach of you know getting scrappy and that sort of thing, how that applies not just to business but also personal life too. 
It absolutely applies to personal life. And by the way, when I think about a hack, sometimes people think a hack is like a quick fix, like, you know, how do you brush your teeth faster or something? I look at hack as just more of a complex problem solve. So when I think about hacking parenting, which I hope to do, I have a lot of work to do, uh, I, I think about more like, if the output is having productive, happy, successful adults, more thinking about holistically, like how do you how do you reimagine that whole process rather than just you know making a quick fix. Mm -hmm. uh, but but anyway, uh, in terms of, of getting scrappy and, and and driving creativity, absolutely you can apply these things in our personal lives, in our communities, in our faith based communities, or anywhere in between. So it's really it's an impact uh, to not only our business lives but the world around us as well. So one of the questions that that we got in, I was asking people for questions. You know, what should I ask Josh? So one of them is. What is the most innovative thing you've seen in the last 12 months? You research, now I'll tell people, you research a ton of different industries of different things. Um, and and you, you speak, I think you said 113 times this past year, which is amazing. That's incredible for a speaker. Um, so I'm curious to know with all that background knowledge, with all, the th with all those things you've seen, what's the most innovative thing you've seen in the past 12 months? Boy, it's really hard to say because there's so much amazing stuff out there. You know, I mean, we were just talking about earlier uh, Amazon. We you know big example launched this this thing called Amazon Go, which is a grocery store where you can go in, swipe your iPhone once, and then basically shoplift. You walk and just push your stuff right out. There's no checkout process, and it automatically through sensors and technology knows what you bought and charges it to your uh, your Amazon account. But I like the little examples, the things that nobody's ever seen before. I mean, one that was pretty cool. Uh, so. Landmines are a real big issue in Afghanistan specifically. And, and a man named Masood Hassani uh, grew up just outside Kabul, Afghanistan. And, and as a kid, he saw horrible tragedies with these landmines. So he kind of committed his life's work to being an agent of change. He said, I, I need to do something about this process. And he could have done it in a traditional way. He could have gotten a, a, a job at a landmine clearing company and worked his way up the ladder and, and you know, maybe someday made something of himself. But instead he said, maybe, maybe there's a better way. Maybe I can be more innovative. Maybe I can disrupt the tradition. The traditional way, by the way, of clearing landmines has been done about the same since the 1960s. It's expensive, it's dangerous, it's not, not all that effective. So anyway, what does he do? He's watching one day tumbleweed blowing across the desert, and he says, maybe that's my inspiration. So he creates this thing called a mine kafan, which is, which is like a six foot, looks like a dandelion that's like six feet tall. There's a central core with light bamboo rods coming off of it and a clay disc at the end of each rod. So like the tumbleweed, it's light enough to be wind propelled, but heavy enough to detonate the landmines beneath the surface. Mm. So what this does is now it's a game changer. It's, it's not dangerous at all. It's way more effective and it's over a hundred times less expensive per landmine cleared. And to me, it's wildly innovative and it's so no, totally low tech, but he uses imagination as the resource to, to, to cure this. And it was again, a huge change in, in landmine clearing, saves thousands of lives. And in fact, this is now on permanent display at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. So anyway, I caught up with Masood, and I was blown away by this, like amazing. So I'm expecting him to be basking in his glory, like he made this huge difference, the biggest landmine change in clearing in 40 years. You know what he tells me? He says, Josh, I've reinvented. I said, what, what, what do you mean? That, that only happened like a year ago. What do you mean? <laughs> he says, well, detonation is a problem, but detection is an even bigger one. Mm -hmm. So now what he's doing, he, he said, you know, you gotta, you gotta find the landmines before you can blow them up, and, and often there's huge areas of land with like one or two landmines underneath the surface. So here's what he's doing now. He figured out a way to rig low-flying drones with a high-powered high -powered magnet and he's able to swarm over large swaths of land very quickly and as he goes over he's, and identifies uh, a landmine, he's beaming back in real time the GPS coordinates and, with a camera so that they can come in with a kafon and blow them up. So here's a kid 
no resources, no government contractor behind him, no Harvard scholarship or anything, who, who makes the single biggest change in landmine clearing in 40 years. One year later, he makes the next biggest change and totally reimagines that. And I think that when I speak to him a year from now, he will have done something else totally cool. And to me, I love stories like that where it's, where it's this internal set of resources, not how much money you have or how big your team is, but drawing on this internal sense of creativity to solve some of the world's most important problems. Now you, you find a whole lot of innovative people, a little in, in innovative stories like this, where do you find those innovative people? You know, the nice thing in our world is that information is out there. I mean, I, I spend a ton of time. I'm, a, I'm an avid reader, so I read everything I can get my hands on, periodicals, and I have a bunch of fun sources that I look for stuff. Uh, but a lot of things is, I mean, if you just start Googling innovation and hacking, I mean, you can find amazing things. So I wish I had some like, really sophisticated formula to tell you. <laughs> Uh, but I, and I have a team that, that works with me on research, but uh, we're able to uncover just amazing gems out there. And I love bringing these stories to life. I love finding stories that people have never heard of before and, 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 and they make that connection and they're memorable. Why do you think certain people decide to be innovative and some people don't? Well, I'm so glad you asked that because the, the logic goes that one out of a thousand people or whatever are, are born creative and the rest of us have to suffer. <laughs> Truth is that the data is completely not, that, that it, it's the opposite. In fact, the data is very clear that all of us as human beings have enormous creative capacity. The problem is that as kids, it's been beaten out of us. You know, we're taught in school to follow the rules and guess what the teacher knows and there's only one right answer and don't make any mistakes. But if you do that in the real world, it's a surefire path to mediocrity. Doing exactly the opposite is what allows us to soar. And so what happens is that creativity is much more akin to like a muscle or a language. We all have the capacity to build muscle mass or to learn a new language, but if we let it go, it, it atrophies. And, and creativity is, is no different. Really, if you think about it, we should be growing into creativity, but too many of us are growing out of it. So the thing is that all of us can, can have this inspiration. How do we make the choice to do it? The biggest blocker is fear. Fear is that poisonous force that robs us of our best thinking and it pollutes our, our, our ability to really make an impact. So the best thing we can do to, to get more creative is simply to remove the fear, to, to create an environment that's safe for ourselves and those around us to share ideas without fear of retribution. And I know it sounds pretty, pretty straightforward, but if you create a safe environment, the gloves come off and the whiteboards are filled with ideas. So in taking away the fear, uh, especially the, the fear of messing up, how much should a, a company decide to let people mess up? Like, is there a specific budget or a specific pathway? If some leader says, okay, I won't let my people screw up, how can you let them do that? If you're not prepared to accept some mistakes, you're not prepared to accept any breakthroughs. So the creative process is often one of trial and error, and, and really those setbacks and mistakes are often the pathways of discovery. So to a degree, the amount of budget that you spend on things that don't work enables the things to work. It's sort of like you know, Picasso's mom complaining about how much paint he spilled on the floor. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it ultimately, you have to invest in those, in those setbacks and mistakes to, to enable the creative act. The best thing we can do as leaders is remove the fear. I'll share one of my favorite techniques with you, by the way, to be very practical. So let's say you, we're, we're doing a brainstorm session. Problem with brainstorm sessions is they are designed for people to share their safe ideas. So if you have a crazy, wacky, out of the, ball, you know, out of the ballpark idea, instead of sharing it, you hold it back. You talk yourself out of it. You say, well, what will my boss think? Who's going to fund my idea? Will I look foolish? So brainstorm sessions are designed to share safe ideas, basically. Here's how you fix it. It's a technique called role storming. Okay. Role storming is brainstorming, but in character. You're brainstorming as if you're somebody else. So for example, let's say we're doing a brainstorming right now, and a role storm, and you were playing the role of Steve Jobs. All right. Well, now no one's going to laugh at Steve for coming up with a big idea. They might laugh at Steve for coming up with a small one. So now you, a.k.a. Steve, are totally liberated. You can say anything you want. No fear of retribution. You're never going to look foolish. Nothing's going to come back and bite you. 
So the, the, the technique is actually rather simple. You take on an actual real world business problem, but pretend you're someone else. It could be a sports hero, it could be a villain, it could be a movie star, it could be an, anyone in your imagination. And, and by pretending that you're that person, it, it's completely liberating. Quick example, I did this with a group of executives one time at Sony. I met this guy, he was the stiffest human being I've ever met in my life. Dark suit, white shirt, Tyler, he's stiff as a board. Anyway, we got him roll storming as Yoda. <laughs> I've never seen personal transformation like this. This guy's jacket's off, his tie's undone, he's leaping around the room, and those whiteboards were filled with ideas. The thing is, I didn't teach him to be creative. He had that inside him all along. The thing is that the role he was in before forbid it. Put him in a new role and the game changed. And the same can happen for anyone listening. In your past, what are some of your failures that you're proud of in leading some of the companies that you've had? Well, I've had a lot, by the way, <laughs> a lot of failures. And, I, and, and you've I, been very successful. But, it, but I, I ask this because you're, you're taking away the fear. So that's why I kind of want to put that in there. Well, thank you. Uh, by the way, the people that I've met that are the most successful, and I've spent time, I've had partners that were billionaires, uh, they win more, but they also fail more. Mm -hmm. And there, there's a real correlation there, you know, that they're willing to put themselves out. And, and I, I hope that I continue to win, but I also hope I continue to fail because that's how you learn and grow. It's all about learning from it. Um, and I've had dozens and dozens, I don't know how much time you have, but, yeah. but one that comes to mind, <laughs> one that comes to mind. Uh, and, and, and I think it was a, Okay, so, so here's what happened. I put out a annual target for my entire company, and this was the, the genesis of their bonus. So it was a very misguided bonus program. I take full responsibility. I was a bad CEO for this, but here's what happened. I think it was $40 million. So if we had a $40 million revenue number in that year, everybody got a big fat bonus. If we had 39999 no one got anything. So it was binary. Again, ill-conceived, my fault, but it worked. So we had, we had signs all over the, you know, uh, digital screens, and we're all gunning for this number. Anyway, December 31st, my head of sales calls me. Josh, we hit it. $40,200,000. And I was so, I was not only excited about the money, but I was like proud and I, I was moved and I was, hum, you know, it, it just felt so good. So I immediately fired off a note to my team. Congratulations, everybody. We hit it. Everyone's getting their bonus. I'm so proud of you. This is amazing. So the way we designed the structure was that the, the money would be paid 45 days after the end of the year. So it gave us company chance to collect some cash. Anyway, about a week before the bonus is about to be paid, my CFO comes knocking. Hey, Josh, you know that $40 million thing, right? I said, yeah, wasn't it great? He said, yeah, well, we got a problem. Turns out we double counted a deal and another deal was canceled that we didn't figure into our calculations. So instead of just making it, we just missed it. So the problem, well, among many, is that this bonus program was binary. I just promised everyone they're getting their bonus a few weeks back and now no one's entitled to anything. So I go to my board. I explained the situation. And my financially driven board said, great news, we're saving some money, we're not paying a bonus. <laughs> now, this is a lot of money. I mean, I was a little company, this was over a million dollars. I mean, it was not trivial. For our company, a million dollars is a lot of money. And my board said, rightfully so. They said, look, we, we reward, the whole point of a, a bonus is to hold people accountable and, and drive results. You don't get a Super Bowl ring for almost making it into the end zone. They're mature adults, they knew what they were signing up for, they didn't hit the goal, they don't get the bonus. And they had a point, I know they were well-intentioned, but my argument was twofold. Number one, it's the right thing to do. But, but putting the right or wrong aside, putting your ethics aside, I said to my board, look, you spent that million dollars anyway. Either we don't pay the bonus and we lose a million dollars in apathy and bad morale and turnover or someone's gonna walk out with a laptop, or we look at it as an investment in our culture and investment in our values. Anyway, it was like the Cuban Missile Crisis with me and my board for the next several days. I'm taking heavy artillery fire from them. But here's what ended up happening. I brought my whole company together, big company meeting, and I explained to them in absolute transparency, 
here's what we thought happened. We were, it was an honest mistake. Turns out not. Here's the numbers. And, and, and according to the contract, everybody's entitled to zero. However, however, the only value that, in our case, beats performance is trust. And we made a promise. I made a promise. And you have to know that when we make a promise, we keep our promises. And so therefore, every person in this company is getting 100% of their bonus, every penny paid on time. If I could tell you the look of people, I mean, I, there, there were grown men with tears running down their face. I was getting bear hugs from, and, and anyway, what ended up happening, I believe, there was a horrible mistake, totally my fault, by the way. But, but what ended up happening is that was the best million dollars I've ever invested. Because my team knew I had their back and they had mine. And when things got tough, they, they put the extra effort in. And they knew that, by the way, it was the best recruiting thing that ever happened. We never told the story, but we'd have job people coming in for an interview and they'd say, I heard what you did with that bonus. That's the company I want to work at. So sometimes it's funny when you do the right thing, even in, in, a, in a mistake, even when it costs you dearly. In that moment, believe me, now it sounds glamorous. At that moment, like that was a million dollars, over a million dollars lost, you know, paid. But, but again, I think it was an amazing investment. And it's more about what you learn from it and how you proceed from there. One final question I do have for you is, uh, you know, you talk about Louis C.K. And every year he takes whatever he's done the year before and throws it away. All his material, he's got to come up with new material. What is your Louis C.K.? What are you throwing at? What are you going to move to next? Uh, it's a good question. I think I'm still figuring some of that out. Um, first of all, I just love absorbing new content. I'm just innately curious. And so there, even though, you know, books come out every couple of years, it doesn't mean you're not learning every couple of years. So I will continue to, you know, absorb as much as I can. But I'm also trying to figure out new ways that I can be helpful to people. You know, like how, I sit on a number of boards and I'm getting more involved in a number of both corporate and philanthropic boards. Uh, I have a new company that we started recently called Fuel Leadership, which is specifically designed to help fuel people's professional growth. And we have this service called Daily Fuel. It's free, but allows people uh, this little burst every, every day, two minutes of, of inspiration and practical learning to help them perform better. So I'm looking these days more about how I can make a bigger impact in people's lives, more so than how I can extract the next dollar or something. But I'm really excited about the year and years ahead. I think we're living in amazing times, transformative times. And if I can even play a small role in helping even a, a few people out there uh, enjoy a little more success, then, then I feel like I will have done well. Thanks again to Josh Linkner and thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher. To learn more about Josh Linkner and others, go to beyondspeak.com because adding ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of D. & Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Young, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast.